Hey guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Cece. Welcome to Myth and Macabre, where we dive into the world of the supernatural, spooky, and everything creepy in between. I don't think that that is how we normally say that, but that's what I'm going with today. I like it. All right. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the common, uh, better known as Boston Commons, in Boston, Massachusetts. Enjoy! morning good morning how are you today i am fantastic how are you i am doing pretty well myself it's it's been an interesting morning but you know indeed it's fun (laughs) (laughs) dealing with husbands and children and surgeries and all of it well hopefully we can take a break from that and dive into something kind of fun. <laughs> was that an okay segue i don't know if i'm good at segueing. you're much better at it than i am i'm really not but sure that can be the segue <laughs> so today <laughs> we're not going to talk about any of that we're going to talk about the boston commons like the park yep we're going to talk about haunted park we are going to talk about a haunt- haunted park i don't know why that was just so hard to say i am interested you Feel like Leonardo DiCaprio and Django <laughs> Unchained. I'm like, first you had my curiosity and now you have my attention. I mean, as we're going to talk about a like... haunted park. Yeah, the haunted park. Is the haunted park similar to a haunted cem- cemetery? Sorry, I have Invisalign now. Anybody who's noticed me like slurring and lisping a little bit in the last few episodes, it's it's because of Invisalign. I mean, I haven't noticed and I've been here the whole time. But um... <laughs> So is a haunted park similar to a haunted cemetery? Well, there's a cemetery in the park. There is? So in this instance, yes. Like the same park where people like put out their blankets and hang mm-hmm. out? Yeah. And there's a cemetery there? I mean, it's 50 acres. There's, there's a lot of room to fit stuff. Boston Commons is a lot bigger <laughs> than I think I realized. I've been there. I don't know why I didn't think it was that big. Yeah. I don't think I realized it was that big either, but it is. It's big. All right. Well, I mean, I guess enough of me being completely surprised. <laughs> Let's jump in so I can actually learn something. Let's do it. So the common, which is also referred to as Boston Commons, although that is not actually its name. Its name is the common without the S. Is it like the common at Boston? Just common. Just the common. Okay. It is America's oldest city park and it dates back to 1634. Oh, wow. That's wow. That's older than I thought. Yeah, I know. Uh, Apparently I'm just in some sort of colonial time warp um this season because like everything i've done has had ties to the 1670s you're like modern stuff no thank you what is that that's not fun so anyway the land was purchased from william blackston the original boston settler not to be confused with william blackstone who some sources i read called him William Blackstone and then I looked him up and then I'm like these time frames don't make sense and then I had to go on like a mission to find who they were actually talking about I am so familiar with that after (laughs) our last episode so William Blackston the original settler of Boston sold the land to Governor Winthrop or well Governor Winthrop commissioned the purchase of the land from him to use as a common area to graze livestock so I guess that explains why it's so big yes and Governor Winthrop decided he was going to like recuperate the costs of t- of buying this land by taxing homeowners that were in Boston. So each homeowner was to pay a tax of six shillings and the total cost for the land was about 30 pounds. 
So just like a tax to have this common area or were, was he like specifically taxing people who were going to be using this area? I think it was a tax for everybody okay. because it was like going to be a common area. And I'm pretty sure most people had livestock. So, okay. That makes sense. So over the years, the land held a bunch of different uses in addition to the grazing of livestock. It had a granary, which is a building that's used to store animal feed. It had a house of corrections, which is not a prison as I believed it was. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So a house of corrections is actually an establishment built for those who are, quote, unwilling to work, where they are then basically forced to work. <laughs> is it, I hate the term, but is it kind of like a poor farm? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> Which and I guess then, back in that time makes more sense. Yeah. And then the common also had an almshouse at one time. An almshouse? An almshouse. Yeah. I don't know. Words are hard. That's all right. <laughs> I was like, I've heard of one of these and not the other. <clears throat> I don't know. Vowels. They have too many sounds. So anyway, it was a charitable housing that was basically built for people that had a hard time paying their rent or couldn't pay their rent any longer, like widows or vagrants or elderly people, things like that. So it's almost kind of interesting. It sounds like some of these buildings that were there were like social services for colonies. Yeah, kind of. So the almshouse, alms, 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 <laughs> that one. Well, I know almsgiving is a thing. That's why. I don't know what that is. It's like giving to charity. Oh, okay. So the house on the common is believed to be the first of its kind in the 13 original colonies. Oh, no way. Um, so I don't know if this was like a thing that they had taken over from Europe or if this was an original idea to the colonies. Okay. Um, but this one in Boston is believed to be the first. And the common also served as a war camp, an execution area, and a public speaking platform. Less nice. Less nice. Well, I mean, public, public speaking, speaking is fine. fine. <laughs> but the other stuff, no. John Hancock's Boston mansion looked out over the park, which I thought was a fun fact. And okay. apparently I didn't know where else to put that in, so I just threw it in there. All right. And I'm going to apologize in advance, but this one ended up being more of like a history than a haunting, but like there's still some ghosts and it's fun. I've discovered a few of those kind of in researching things, especially places that are commonly associated as being haunted, that like there's usually, it's usually a place with like a ton of history mm -hmm. and the hauntings are, are kind of a lesser footnote in the story. Yeah. But it's still fun, so so stick with it. Please. I think this is the first time in our entire lives, by the way, we were talking the other day about how we've been <laughs> friends for almost 30 years, which is bizarre. But I think this is like the first time in either of our lives where we're like, let's talk about the history of this thing. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who am I? Where did I come from? Right. I think neither one of us were ever history buffs. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was not. So now let's get into some of the history and the stories around the common. I am excited. So we're going to start with a tree that was planted in the common in like the mid 1600s. And it was originally planted as a sign of prosperity. Oh, nice. And it was eventually named the Great Elm, which sounds like a nice name for a prosperous tree. We didn't like murder somebody here, did we? <laughs> Well, unfortunately. Oh, no. I knew it was kind of, I was like, this sounds like too idyllic of a nice tree in a park. The tree did not live up to its prosperous topes, I guess. The Great Elm would actually become like a central execution point in Boston until the 1800s. I knew it. I knew that's where you were going with it. That of makes course. me sad. I know. And I read in a few different places that many of the victims or criminals or... The people who were executed. <laughs> like whatever they were. 
because we all know that some of the hanged were not actually uh, yeah, guilty. There's, yeah, there's some interesting stuff around that. Yep. But anyway, so uh, those that were hanged, some of them were left hanging for extended periods of time as a warning to others. Oh my goodness, that's uh, cruel. I couldn't find out what that extended period of time was. Like, was this hours or days or like... This just reminds me of like the some Handmaid's game Tale. Of, I wasn't gonna say Handmaid's Tale, but like uh, only because I read the book and didn't watch the show because I didn't like the book. That's a story for another time. Yeah, I watched the show and I haven't read the book, but then I stopped watching the show because like I just got too far behind and then I never picked it back up. I watched the show and was like, kudos to whoever did the show because it's way better than the book, <laughs> but I still didn't stick with it. I was thinking it almost kind of reminds you of like some kind of Game of Thrones esque, like as a warning, we're going to put this head on a spike and just let it rot. Like, um, ugh. I mean, I never saw Game of Thrones, but that sounds like the most Game of Thrones thing. It just seems very barbaric to be like, <laughs> we're going to leave this person hanging here as a warning. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, again, I feel like I say unfortunately a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounds like this is not going to be a super fortunate story. It, so It didn't really seem to convey the message they wanted because, like, a ton of people were hung on this tree. Really? Did it seem, I don't know if you found this in your research, but did it seem like there was something going on? So, like, obviously, like, in the witch trials, it's people being accused of being a witch. In some other historical movements, it's been because of some kind of like religion or nationality based discrimination. Was there something going on or was it just people they deemed were breaking laws? Were there just a lot of lawbreakers? There's a lot of lawbreakers, quote unquote, lawbreakers. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I would say they're probably not all actually lawbreakers, but I guess. So there's like a lot going on. Like there's a lot of different reasons that we're going to talk about. Oh, cool. Because I was going to say, I was trying to kind of devise an idea based on what you've said so far. And it does seem like this was kind of. Of not the highest class financially well-to-do group of people in this area based on some of the social services that were available yeah i think it was like kind of mixed because then there was like john hancock's like, that's true mansion. who looks over the the park anyway sorry continue yeah, but yeah so we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot because there's a lot of different things it going sounds on like here. it we're gonna start on june 15th of 1648 and a woman named margaret jones was hanged from the great elm She's, was she the first person? No, not the first person, but she is believed to be the first witch and the first woman convicted and executed in the Massachusetts Bay Colony of oh. witchcraft. And then I thought this was a fun little, I, that's like really all I have about her, but I had a fun fact. Well, she's a female in history, so <laughs> a sentence is about all you get, I've discovered. Right. Actually, one of the websites I used had like a lot of information about her, but like it was... It didn't pertain to the story. But anyway, so one of the witnesses of her execution was a 12-year-old boy named John Hale, who would later play a part in the witch convictions during the Salem witch trials in the 1690s. Really? So just influenced about the horrors of witchery from a young age. Yeah. So I'm going to say that watching a quote-unquote witch get hanged in Boston Common may have had something to do with his yeah, <laughs> later endeavors. Yeah important event in his formative years it sounds yeah so then 12 years later on june 1st of 1660 we have mary dyer who was hanged from the great elm she was a puritan turned quaker and one of the three quakers that are now known as the boston martyrs oh did they not like quakers no no quakerism was banned in the early massachusetts bay colony it was oh. it was not okay to be a quaker i don't think i realized that yeah and those that did practice Quakerism were subject to death or exile. 
Mary and the other martyrs were like outspoken and like advocating for religious freedom and all of that Roger Williams stuff. Okay. So around 1637 or 1638, she and some other Quakers were exiled. So they relocated to Plymouth, Rhode Island. And unfortunately, she decided that she was going to return to Boston in 1659 to protest the laws that were banning Quakers. She went with a couple other people, Marmaduke Stevenson, which I love that his name is Marmaduke because I just think of that dog. Yep. (laughs) And (laughs) William Robinson. The three of them were all captured and sentenced to death. And that's what happened there. So they're the three martyrs. The three martyrs. Yep. Also, where is Plymouth, Rhode Island? down near Newport oh no way yeah I don't think I ever heard of Plymouth Rhode Island no maybe I was like Plymouth and then you said Rhode Island and I was like but Massachusetts okay oh no wait I'm thinking of Portsmouth I don't know where Plymouth Rhode Island is either way I can (laughs) google that while you continue to chat I just it threw me for a little bit of a loop because when you hear Plymouth you usually think of Massachusetts yeah no that I did that didn't even register. I saw a P and I was like Portsmouth, but it's not. <laughs> okay. Either so, yeah, way. I don't actually know. We'll figure that one out. Anyway, next up we have Anne Goody Glover because, you know, Goody. Yep. I was just going to say, that sounds familiar, but I think it's just from the other episodes we've talked about. <laughs> yeah. Because um, she was a woman. She was an Irish laundress and housekeeper for the Goodwin family of Boston, and she was uh, accused of witchcraft also and hanged in the common on November 16th of 1688. This whole thing started when one of the Goodwin children, Martha, accused Anne's daughter, Mary, of stealing laundry. Oh. Anne lashed out at Martha, who was 13 at the time. So this grown woman is lashing out at a 13-year-old child for accusing her daughter of stealing laundry. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, that feels like maybe it's a bit of an overreaction, but... And then eventually it, like, turned into her, you know, arguing with all of the children. So shortly after this disagreement, one of the children supposedly became ill. And when the doctor was called, he suggested that the child may be a victim of witchcraft. I don't know what led him to believe that, but that's what he believed. Okay, that feels like a logical jump. (laughs) Right. So Anne was the logical choice for, you know, the person to be accused. Not only because she was in a position of servitude, but she was also a devout Roman Catholic who refused to convert to Puritanism. Ah. So here we go with the religions. Yes. So Anne was actually the last person in Boston to be hanged as a witch. So not like in Massachusetts, but in Boston, because this all happened before Salem. Okay. So she was the last person in Boston to be hanged as a witch. And 300 years after her execution in 1988, the Boston City Council declared that November 16th would be Goody Glover Day. And she is the only Massachusetts witch to receive any kind of tribute like that. But is it really a tribute? Because like, we're literally not using her name. We're still calling her Goody. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, that was kind of like thinking that. I was like, if we're trying to pay tribute to her as some kind of like, she was wrongfully accused, we're like still not even really giving her like autonomy over her own identity. Interesting choice. Yeah. But I mean, they did something for her, which none of the other witches got, so. Very true. I guess we'll take what we can get. The Great Elm was also used during King Philip's War, which we talked about in episode four, I think, of this season, which was about Nine Men's Misery in the Cumberland Monastery. 
Yes. I was going to say, King Philip's War came up a lot this season. There was also some Bridgewater Triangle stuff. Right. We didn't jump into them in an episode, but they also had to do with King Philip's War. Yeah. And then for anyone that missed the episode or like needs a refresher or just doesn't, isn't sure what King Philip's War is, it took place from 1675 to 1676 when basically a Wampanoag tribe leader met a comet who was also known as King Philip grew tired of the European settlers like encroaching on his land and trying to convert him and his people to Puritanism and get them to follow English law and all of that. So he gathered the support of other local tribes like the Narragansetts and fought, you know, to keep their land and what was theirs. The war spanned across Massachusetts, Connecticut and Rhode Island and both sides were had a bunch of casualties. So anyway, back to the Great Elm. So the Great Elm was used in King Philip's War for the hanging of at least 45 Native Americans that were captured by the colonists. Oh my goodness. Um, some some of the sources I read, you know, were a lot more than that. Some were less, so. I was going to say, I mean, the fact that we're hanging people from a tree is kind of tragic in its own right, but that number was bigger than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, this is not a tree I would want to hang out near. <laughs> well, we'll get there. Is that code for I can't hang out there now, even if I wanted to? It might be. Okay. So then next up, we have the British. So British soldiers invaded Boston and occupied the common area as their, like, base camp in April of 1775. And this essentially started the Revolutionary War. Oh, wow. (laughs) I was trying to figure out, I, I am actually horrible at history and was like, what year are we talking? What could that be? But that makes sense. The mm-hmm. revolution. Yeah, no, I had to look it all up too because I, I'm like, years, what, what, what is happening here? I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that sounds like an important year, but I don't remember what happened. But it was a revolutionary war. So on the night of April 18th that year, 1775, the British troops traveled to Concord, prompting Paul Revere and others to ride out on their horses and infamously warn the rest of the colonists that the British are coming. I was going to say, there's a poem about that. (laughs) Yes. General George Washington spent most of the fall and winter of 1775 trying to contain the British to the Boston area because they were trying to like march out and like. Okay. Over. And General Washington was trying to get them to stay where they were and like hold them back. It was kind of like a give and take of power between sides for a while until General Washington and his men captured artillery at Fort, I'm going to murder this name and I'm sorry, Ticonderoga. Oh, Ticonderoga. Okay. Yeah, I've been there. Have you? I have, oh. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, they captured the artillery there and the British in Boston, you know, realized that they were now at a disadvantage and retreated from the city in March of 1776. So can we talk about how big warscapes are for just a quick, like total just little segue? Mm -hmm. Because unless it has somehow moved, Fort Ticonderoga is like on a lake that shares a border with Canada. It's like upstate New York and Canada. Okay. I think it's upstate New York. It might be upstate Vermont. I've been there. I was a child. We went and checked it out. But... Like, so this is kind of the second time we've talked about a war was when we talked about the King Philip's War with Nine Men's Misery, too. Mm -hmm. And just, like, how expansive of an area these things Yeah, like, I always thought that, like, I don't know. Like, I knew that they happened all over because there's, like, Gettysburg. And I don't, are these even the same war? Like, I I know nothing. Uh, (laughs) I am not the right person to ask that question Uh, to. (laughs) No, I don't know. Gettysburg, so this is a civil war. But, like, you think about Gettysburg and it's, like, a battlefield. It's, like, one location. Whereas, like, you think about King Philip's War and we're talking about fighting in Connecticut and Rhode Island and parts of Massachusetts. And, like, 
It's just so big. It is, yeah. <laughs> so I actually didn't know where that fort was. Yeah, it's on Lake Champlain. Oh, okay. I know where that is. I can't Maybe remember I have if that was there, New York or Vermont. Vermont. I know it's like right I don't up know. there. It's but one of them. I know that Lake Champlain is it in might Vermont. Be Vermont and New York, not Canada. <laughs> I we we took a family vacation there when I was in fourth grade. Geography is not my yeah, strong suit either. Same, but yeah, no, it was like it was huge because then wasn't there the thing with George Washington like crossing the Delaware, which is like south? Correct. Yeah, so he clearly this was like an all over the East Coast. Yeah, kind of thing. it's so bizarre. Like. As someone who, like, lived in Rhode Island for a really long time and, like, having to drive, like, 40 minutes feels like you're driving for all of eternity, it's weird to think just, like, how small these places seemed mm. before they were modernized. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, anyway. that was a total segue because just you were like, Fort Ticonderoga, and I'm like, this is real big. It's like, I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was that big because I didn't realize where that was. So thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> um, so next, we're going to talk about some pirates, because apparently I like to talk about pirates and colonial times. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So in October... No, quick question before you start talking about pirates, because yes. pirates, water, Boston Common, is it landlocked? Um, or is it... Because I know there are parts of Boston that have a coast. There's, like, docks and stuff in Boston. Does yeah. it, like, kind of go up toward them? I think it is kind of near them. I don't actually know exactly where they are in relation to the coast, but I feel like they're, like, close enough to the coast. Well, well, they would have to. Boston's, like, right on the coast anyway. Yeah. So. so I don't know exactly, like, how far it is. Sorry. I've got so many questions. I'm excited to hear about your colonial pirates. <laughs> That's fine. In October of 1789, Rachel Wall became the last woman to be hanged, um, not just at the Great Elm, but in the state of Massachusetts. Forever? Or did that come back at some point? Well, she was the last woman to be hanged. So oh, okay. like, I'm sure there were hangings after her. They were just men. So it's also widely believed that she is the first American-born female pirate. Yo-ho. Nice. <laughs> she was born Rachel Smith in Pennsylvania around the year 1760 to a Presbyterian family. And she spent a lot of her free time down at the waterfront. One day while she was hanging out at the waterfront, she was attacked by a group of girls. And this is where she would meet her future husband, George Wall. He was a fisherman who rescued her from the attack of the girls. Okay. So, I mean, I guess that sounds like a nice dude. I'm like, I guess that's like a meet cute. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is that a thing back I'm then? I'm glad you said it because I was thinking it. So anyway, so they go and they get married and Rachel and George move from Pennsylvania to Boston. She found work as a servant and he got a job on a fishing schooner. And he returned from one of his voyage with the article I read said five men and their lovers. I, I'm... Wives? Oh. I don't know. Okay. Um, so we're just going to go with five men and their partners. <laughs> you know, like calling them their lovers? Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so anyway, George suggested to the group that they become pirates. And apparently everyone was like, yeah, let's be pirates. <laughs> I didn't realize becoming a pirate was so easy. I guess it was. All right. So they borrowed a boat from one of George's friends and they set off to the Isle of Shoals, which is just off the New Hampshire coast. So they went a little bit north. And the way that they would kind of run their their pirating is that Rachel would wait until like a, they passed through a storm or a storm kind of went by. And then she would stand on the deck and the next ship that came by, when she saw them, she would like start screaming. So this ship would, you know, see a damsel in distress screaming for help. 
So <laughs> why don't we have a movie about her? This is fascinating. You just gave right? me a look, so I felt like I needed to explain no. my face. Uh, this is awesome. I know. I mean, maybe pirating was not actually awesome, but like, how come we don't have a movie about this? This is great. Right. We should look into that. So anyway. Nobody steal our ideas. <laughs> we'll write them someday. So the, the ships would come by. They would see her screaming, think she was a damsel in distress. Anyway. Sailors would come and try to help her, and then they would be ambushed by the other pirates on the boat, because remember, there's like 11 other people on the ship. And the pirates would attack them and rob them. So they were able to do this 12 times, and they ended up killing a total of 24 soldiers and accumulating $6,000 and like numerous valuables that like were not valued at anything it just said like numerous valuables not only am i impressed by their operation i'm impressed you were able to find this much information about their operation i know this is great it is and this all happened between 1781 and 1782 so like it was not a long period of time and also you all know that i can't help myself six thousand dollars in 1782 is worth just over a hundred and forty eight thousand three hundred dollars today I felt like you in my last episode when I did a money conversion. I was like, this must be how Jess feels. I love it. I love them so much. <laughs> That's a lot of money, though, for like, it sounds like only a couple of jobs. And mm. I'm assuming if you have a ship that can get that close to another ship that you can like hear a woman yelling, it's probably not like some kind of humongous ship with tons and tons and tons of goods on them. Yeah, no, I think it was like fishing. Other schooners, schooners or some something stuff, like yeah. that. And they had just like a regular boat. Like they didn't have anything fancy. So like they kind of looked like a after a storm a shipwrecked like yeah schooner that i don't know i'm kind of impressed <laughs> yeah so george and the rest of the pirate crew unfortunately were lost out at sea during a storm but rachel oh geez the plan backfired, backfired. <laughs> so like there was actually a storm well i mean there were always actually storms but like this one was this one got them this this was their karma <laughs> so, anyway rachel was not lost at sea she managed to find her way back to boston she returned to servant life pretty much as so just like was. went back to being who she was before kind of she tried i guess but she would occasionally head down to the docks to rob the boats at port she was just like i haven't gotten <laughs> enough of it yeah. gotta go gotta go find my thrills she's like i want more things and i'm going to take them because i'm a pirate <laughs> i'm a pirate that works as a servant i don't know so the crime that actually got her caught was in uh, mid to late 1879. She saw a 17-year-old Margaret Bender at the docks, and Margaret was wearing a bonnet, and Rachel decided it was pretty and she wanted it. So <laughs> so that was the one that got her caught. Did they then discover she was this pirate who had done all this stuff, or did she like pretty much literally get hanged for stealing a bonnet, and then just afterwards we discovered she was also a pirate? I think it was like part of her confession. Like she kind of went over everything. Oh, okay. Because I was like, one of these things feels like, I mean, I don't really think either of them could justify hanging in a modern sense, but mm. like one of them makes sense that they would hang her for the other one seems a little silly but well the crime that she was actually charged with was robbery so like it wasn't she i think she requested to be tried as a pirate but they charged oh. her with robbery instead and attempted murder possibly um, i am so intrigued but because she didn't want to like be hanged as like a robber and a murderer um she wanted to be tried as, as a pirate but they said no 
Okay. <laughs> so I think it all came out like during her confession. Yeah. Um, interesting. But anyway, so she saw this bonnet and she decided she wanted it. So she tries to steal the bonnet off of Margaret's head and then cut her throat up. Cut her tongue out of her mouth. Oh, whoa. That is way more than just trying to steal a bonnet. <laughs> okay. So, attempted murder. <laughs> that makes way more sense now. I was like, they would hang her for trying to steal a hat. I mean. Yeah, that's a bit more, uh, a bit more of a not morally gray area. <laughs> but yeah. So she was caught in the act and arrested. Good thing. Yep, that that makes sense now. And then I put this in here because, like, it made me think a little bit. I was like, I, I don't really think this makes sense. But her final words are quoted as, Into the hands of the Almighty God I commit my soul, relying on his mercy, and die an unworthy member of the Presbyterian Church in the 29th year of my age. So she just, like, decided to find religion again in those last moments? Yeah. That, that, hmm. No, like interesting. She she literally left her life to like go be a pirate and like kill and rob like people at sea. Yeah, but she was probably afraid to die. Yeah, she did deny any involvement in the actual killings. Like she just lured them in. <laughs> she didn't she actually just an kill accessory. them. But like maybe she regretted it? Question mark. Interesting. She sounds like a fascinating human. I mean. Sounds like she was maybe a little bit terrible for what it's worth, but also fascinating. You know, and like, it's also like, those are your last words when you were literally caught trying to steal a bonnet off of a child's head and cut her tongue out. Yeah. And and you're regretful. Interesting choices. I'm confused. I'm very confused. Anyway. (laughs) So, for anyone that's looking to visit this tragic piece of American history, you cannot. It is not there anymore. Is there a um, memorial where the tree was? There is. So the Great Elm itself no longer stands in the common. It was fortunately, unfortunately, question mark, taken down during a severe thunderstorm in 1876. I don't know what it was, but I was just about to be like, did it get struck by lightning? Possibly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there is a plaque behind two benches that it, that are located near like what is now the Frog Pond. And it marks the spot where the where the tree once stood. So you can go visit where the tree was. You just can't see the tree. Sounds like you can sit on a nice bench. So now that we're done talking about the elm, we're going to talk about some different things. Cool. In addition to the deaths that were attributed to like criminal punishments and war casualties and everything else that happened there, the common was also used as a pauper's grave. Oh, is this kind of the cemetery you were talking about? Yeah, kind of. Okay. But this pauper's grave wasn't discovered until like 1894, 1895, when Boston began digging under the Boylston Street Mall to construct the subway system. Oh, was it like an unmarked pop? I I don't know. Yeah, pauper's grave. Does a pauper's grave just like imply that it's unmarked? Yeah, it's unmarked. It's usually like a mass, mass grave, I guess. Okay. So during the seven month excavation, they uncovered the remains of over a thousand bodies. Oh my goodness. And when people found out that the project was like unearthing skeletons, crowds of spectators would gather around the construction site. Are you about to tell me something terrible, but you're laughing? No. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess I kind Yeah, of, it's kind okay. of terrible. But there were so many people that the workers had to like create barriers and block off the work zone to keep people away. Like spectators? Spectators. And what's worse is that there were so many remains that the workers were literally just picking up the bones and tossing them into boxes oh my goodness so there were people standing around watching men unearth incomplete and separated skeletons and tossing them in 
literal boxes. Oh my goodness. What a macabre scene. Like I, I'm trying to figure out when they built the subway. So I was trying to like put a year to this. 1894, 1895-ish. Wow. Hey, there's a lot to unpack there. I didn't realize the subway system was that old. Right. But also like, wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, I guess there is like, if it was an unmarked pauper's grave, you're probably never going to identify who those people right. were. But like, what an unceremonious way to be disinterred. <laughs> and also, I'm not going to lie, I would be people spectating. Uh, I hate I, to I would admit that. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be like <clears throat> whooping and like, woo. But yeah, I would. I I'd would be, be like, watching. ooh, what's that? What are like, we doing? I, I'd like to know what, what's going on with the bones. Yep. But anyway, back to the story. So due to the, like you were just saying, due to the fact that almost all of the bodies were like in unmarked graves and they were found during like the digging of a subway tunnel, the remains couldn't be individually like reassembled or identified. So it was literally just like bones in a box, which is, (laughs) or a bunch of boxes. Kind of sad at the end of the day. Yeah. And then once the project was complete, all of the bones that had been tossed into the boxes (laughs) were then taken to the common and buried in what is now called the Central Burying Ground, um, which is like the cemetery that's there. Okay. And so there is one grave marker for the thousand plus bodies that were found. I'm and glad that they like reburied them. Y- yes. They kind of dumped. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound very ceremonious. <laughs> it's a, it but... wasn't. And then so there's one like grave marker for all of them. And it has a plaque on it that says, here we reinterred the remains of persons found under the Boylston Street Mall during the digging of the subway, 1895. Um, thanks. I mean, I guess. <laughs> what what else can you really say at that point? Right? I feel like I there mean, was like a better way to say that. You don't know their names. You don't know who they were. It's a little bit weird to be like, we we found them <laughs> while we were digging up a subway. Right. Like, was, but, it, was it necessary to put that part on there? Like, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I feel like we could have said that in a different way. That was Perhaps. a little more respectful. I mean, I'm glad that they re-interred them. Yes. But. But still, it yeah. is a little weird. <laughs> um, and then in addition to like the mass grave of like paupers, criminals, war revolutionary soldiers, all of these people that are buried at the central bur- burying ground, there is also the grave of Gilbert Stewart. I don't know if you're familiar with who that is. I don't know who that is at all. I didn't either. <laughs> so I looked it up. So if you're not sure who that is, he's the artist that was commissioned to paint the portrait of Revolutionary War General and America's first president, George Washington. And it is the portrait that we now see on the $1 bill. I was just going to say, is it like the Washington portrait? It is. Okay. Yeah, Um, I did not know that person by name. Yeah. I feel like I learned it at some point and then forgot about it. Because when I read it, it sounded familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said it to me, it didn't sound familiar at all. Interesting. And so he has like a marked grave. He has a marked grave, yes. And there's, like, a couple other people there that have, like, marked graves. But the big thing there is just, like, the thousands of bones. So it's not, like, it sounds like it's not, like, a full cemetery the way we think of cemeteries where it's, like, hundreds and hundreds of headstones. It's just a couple. Right. Like, there's plenty of bodies there, but there's just a couple headstones. Yes. Okay. So now we're going to kind of head, like, out of the common a little bit. I mean, the subway tunnel was kind of out of the common, but, like... They buried them on the common. Still, like, so, anyway. completely flabbergasted <laughs> that the subway tunnel was built that long I ago. Know. I know. I didn't realize that either. And then, of course, naturally, my first snarky thought was, like, was that when the orange line was put in? Because that railway always feels so old. I think it was the green line. No Actually. way. Really? 
<laughs> I think I read something that it was the green line. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't, I like in my head, it was, I was like, that's so old. It must've been like decommissioned. Oh my no. gosh. No way. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it said. Cause it said you something about like, blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> ghosts on the green line. But yeah, so we're going to head like just outside the common now. So on March 4th of 1897, so like three years after we dug up all these bones, while they were still working on the subway tunnels, there was a gas explosion at the intersection of Tremont and Boylston, which is an intersection right on the edge of the common. So it's like okay. not in the common, but it's like right there. Around the, yeah, like perimeter. Yeah. The explosion killed six to 10 people, depending on the source, oh, and geez. injured a few dozen others. So yeah, there's that. And then also not exactly in the common, but it's frequently discussed along with it, is the granary burying ground. The granary had its own burying ground? So it's called granary? Is it where the granary had been? I don't think it's where the granary had been. It's like next to a church. I'm not really sure why we call it a granary burial ground. Maybe it was. Most confusing name. (laughs) Got it. But so like, again, it's not in the common, but it's like literally a two minute. It's right across the street. Okay. So they talk about it a lot with the common. This cemetery holds the graves of John Hancock, John Adams, and Paul Revere, and like a whole bunch of other, you know, people that were involved in like the founding of America. Like notable political figures. Yeah. There is also a mass grave there because we just had mass graves all over Boston, I guess. And this mass grave holds the remains of people that were killed during the Boston Massacre and the Boston Tea Party. So kind of more along the lines of like a tomb of an unknown soldier, kind of. Kind of. Okay. And there's like a whole bunch of other stories that like go along with that cemetery, but we're not going to go there. Yeah, it sounds like that cemetery could maybe be its own episode. It could. (laughs) So anyway, now we're going to get back into the commons. Okay. Go back to the commons. Quick segue and now we're back. (laughs) Those were important, I guess. I don't know. I thought they were important when I was writing this. Anyway, so in addition to the nature, the macabre nature of most of the commons itself, there is the Parkman bandstand, which is named after a murder victim. Really? Because there's not enough nonsense there, going yeah. on there. Can we talk about how much tragedy is around the Boston Commons? I never re- I was always just like, that's a nice park to sit and take a break in when you're hanging out in Boston for the day. Oh my gosh, yep. I have no idea. Yep, it's crazy. So in 1849, a Harvard Medical School professor named John Webster hit George F. Parkman over the head with a piece of wood during a disagreement about money. Parkman had lent Webster the money over the course of like years and they were fighting about it. And then the professor, John, decided he was going to just hit George because, I don't know, he was mad that he wanted his money back, question mark. Uh, I mean, I've heard lesser solid (laughs) motives for murder, so. Right. So the... The hit or the head wound or whatever it was, it killed George F. Parkman. So John Webster decided he was going to partially dismember his body before attempting to burn it. Oh my gosh. And then eventually... That was not where I thought this story was going. But wait, it gets better. So then after he attempted to burn it, he decided eventually that he was going to hide the semi-charred remains in his own laboratory. Oh my goodness. Ew. Um, Ew. Just just a note for anyone out there, how to get away with murder 101. Don't hide the charred remains in your own laboratory. <laughs> right, like don't like keep them somewhere where you frequent. <laughs> oh my goodness. I that was not where I thought that story was going. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So 
like I said, this actual murder didn't happen on the commons. It actually happened where like Mass General is now located, but the structure on the common was erected in his honor after his father, George H. Parkman, died in 1908. And in his will, he left a $5 million donation to care for like the land of the common when he died. So as a thank you, they built a oh. bandstand in his son's honor. Um, that sounds kind of nice. I mean, the whole thing sounds really tragic. It also sounds weird to leave that much money to a public location. But I mean, whatever's important to you. Oh, I, I'm not really sure. So anyway, that is all the history that I have on that. There's there's a lot more, but you know, we're not we're not yeah, gonna I mean, go there. It sounds like it. <laughs> is this not gonna go there? I like can't even. I mean, I can, I guess fathom how this is going to translate into ghost stories yeah so we're going to talk about ghosts now still a little baffled that we have a haunted park (laughs) but you know what now that i've heard the history i guess it makes sense yeah so we'll start at the granary burying grounds which is the one like right across the street with the political figures the political figures so we have you know like the generic claims of orbs and shadow figures and like photographs and disembodied voices and cold spots and the feelings of being watched and like all of that the usual suspects yeah i mean i personally always feel like i'm being watched in a cemetery kind of like the dolls last week like I think where it's like there just feels like another energy, like not to get like all woo woo, but I think like, so dolls have faces that feels like it's looking at you. Cemeteries, you have this idea, like while you're there, like there are the bodies of people that did live once here. Like, I think these are just kind of things that kind of make sense to have you feel like you're being watched. Yeah. It's like some kind of just internal. Like, yeah. Feeling. I hit my microphone. I do that at least twice an episode. <laughs> My bad. So yeah, we have all of those. I don't really think that much of those hold much weight, but we've talked about it in other episodes. Yeah, to me, when it comes to the usual suspects, there's just not much to say. Some people took some pictures and think they have orbs. Some people felt some cold spots. Like, it's so common among so many allegedly haunted locations that it's almost like not even worth noting. Mm-hmm. But in addition to all these, people do report seeing Paul Revere riding his horse around the cemetery grounds. That's awesome. I would love to see. It's just just riding a horse, a ghost horse. I don't know why. There's also a prominent colonial Boston lawyer named James Otis Jr. who is buried there. And he supposedly also walks around the graveyard, but he appears both during the day and at night. And he seems to be confused. I think it was because something about the way that he died, I read. He was like hit during a bar fight and then kind of got some brain damage. And then supposedly he wrote a letter to god asking god to strike him down with lightning because he didn't want to live like that anymore and then a couple weeks later he got struck by lightning and died what yeah i'm not sure how true that is Uh, (laughs) i don't think it's very true it's a cool story it is a cool story though but when he appears he kind of just like stumbles around like what like he's confused side question (laughs) what does a ghost look like during the day I'm not sure. Outside. I guess is where it's confused. Like, I guess I can imagine a, ha- a like a ghost during the day inside like a house. Because mm-hmm. there's like shadows or you can maybe see it a little bit better, catch a better glimpse of it. Mm-hmm. But like out in the sunlight. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I have questions. But there were multiple places that said he's seen both during the day and at night. And he's huh. harmless, just confused. Harmless, but confused. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So that's unfortunate that in death he remained brain damaged. I'm very sorry for him. That is pretty unfortunate. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about the subway system below and around the common. 
So many conductors report seeing victims of like the 1897 gas explosion. They didn't really go too much farther into that. I'm assuming they're like burned. Or like, like look like construction workers, even yeah. though there's no construction on the line. Yeah. The Biography Channel actually sent out a team of investigators, and at one point, deep into the tunnels, all of their flashlights and equipment all just died at the exact same time. Ooh, that's creepy. It is. I mean, it could be because they're deep in the tunnel tunnels under a major city, but like that for everything cause to die, your batteries to die. Yeah, like for everything to die like all at once, like it's working, and then like everything stops. Like I feel like like the batteries in a flashlight are different in each flashlight, and like have a different charge. Like why would they all die at the same time? I mean, my scientific brain is like, I wonder if there's some kind of electromagnetic something going on that just like blipped them all. But the podcast part of me is like, (laughs) that's creepy. I like it. Mm -hmm. So it's a fun story, I guess. I don't know exactly what caused it. Was it ghosts? Probably not. We can say yes until... You know, until proven different. (laughs) Until proven otherwise. Ghostly until proven scientific. (laughs) And then subway conductors also report seeing a Revolutionary War British soldier standing on the tracks in full red coat uniform holding his musket. And the older conductors... Is that like they see it in the same spot all the time? Yeah, I think it's in the same spot. Because the older conductors have kind of like unofficially made this like an initiation right for new conductors it's kind of like oh you saw the red coat like you're official now oh that's kind of a cool story (laughs) yeah so that's fun i mean i'd be terrified if i saw someone in full you know british military gear carrying a musket on a i would be nervous (laughs) that i was about to hit a (laughs) reenactor right i'd be like why are you here please please get off the trucks And then finally, we are going to talk about like the actual grounds of the common, because these are haunted too. People have reported hearing revolutionary era like gunshots throughout the park because it was like a war camp. So that makes sense. The most active areas are the central burial ground and the area where like the Great Elm once stood, even though it's not there anymore. There's a plaque where the Great Elm was. And around that plaque, there's like People report seeing a woman in colonial era clothing, like walking around. Okay. Most people believe that it is Mary Dyer, the Quaker that was hung for speaking out against Puritanism. Interesting. And Central Burial Ground holds the remains of like over a thousand unidentified people. I am kind of surprised to hear that's one of them though, because that's not where they died and it's not their original burial ground, but I guess if it is their current resting place... I could see a ghost story being linked to it. Yeah, the way that I kind of saw that was like, maybe they feel disrespected in a way for the way well, that they were being turned. Their bones were just getting frisbeed <laughs> into boxes. So, um, so like maybe they're kind of holding on to that, and like that's their trauma that they need to okay. deal with before I guess, they yeah, can, I can move on. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. I guess I feel like I'd I'd kind of be pissed if my bones were just tossed in a box and thrown in a grave. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't think I would be posthumously pissed, but the idea of it now, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. And some people claim to have like photo evidence of ghosts, not just like orbs or shadows, but like an actual okay. ghost. I don't necessarily I feel like we believe. don't see a ton of that. I For all the ghost stories we talk about, I feel like I expect way more like creepy figures on film. And I feel like we've had a couple of instances of it, like mm-hmm. kind of confirmed is also in the eye of the beholder but like 
we've seen these photographs for some of them, but a lot of them you don't really hear too much about. You just hear like, well, I was there and I felt it or I was there and I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Mm hmm. But yeah, like photos, I'm kind of on the same page as like orbs and shadows and things. Like same. <laughs> lighting plays a part. Dust plays a part. Like particles, you know. Even just like your cameras. I mean, maybe more so in the days of film cameras and less in the days of digital cameras. But like, even if there's something wrong with your shutter and your exposure, you can get some really bizarre mm -hmm. pictures. So yeah. And then another question I had that kind of makes me think like, Maybe this is a whole bunch of like nonsense. I don't want to believe Which is it's nonsense. We I was, that's weird to hear from you. I know. Usually I'm the one calling nonsense. I know. I don't want to believe it's nonsense. I want to believe it's real. But what makes me think it's a bunch of nonsense is like I couldn't find any reports of like Native American spirits. And like, wouldn't I had you? made a mental <laughs> note of that. I was like, weren't there like 40 plus of them hung in this area as well? Yeah. So like in my mind, I would assume that they'd be the most likely to haunt the grounds that were like literally taken from them and then used to murder them. I mean, so <laughs> you don't hear a ton about Native American ghosts in general. Like not even just the story, but just in general. I know. And but I'm, like not even I'm one. like, were they maybe just more one with the land of the universe. I mean, maybe. Maybe when they passed, they were like, well, on to the next thing. But, like, not even one. I agree with you. For what it's <laughs> worth. I'm I'm playing devil's advocate because I don't really know, but I agree with you. I appreciate that. I do think in general, though, like, especially if you are of the mindset that believes in ghosts, it's much more easy to see a ghost that is, like, mm -hmm. a, somehow a reflection of yourself in some ways. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But still, not even one. <laughs> oh, we don't see ghosts of dogs and cats either. So some people do. Really? Yeah, I've seen reports of people seeing their like dead animals or like ghost cats walking across the street. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's another episode, I think. Yeah. No, there's ghost animals. The animals can be ghosts. <laughs> anyway. So that's all I have for like the creepy stuff. I just wanted to end it on like kind of a happier note because that whole thing was like just There's a lot of death going just on. Just a lot there. of tragedy. So the commons wasn't, or the common, wasn't only used for battles, hangings, and mass burials. In the 1900s, Charles Lindbergh, Martin Luther King Jr., and Pope John Paul II all used the park for uh, various things. Charles Lindbergh held an event there to promote his ideas of commercial aviation. Pope John Paul II held a mass for the public in 1979, and Martin Luther King Jr. led a rally protesting the Vietnam War. Interesting. I mean, so it is kind of like, I did not know most of these stories that you're telling about the Boston Commons, but as someone who has kind of grown up in like the Massachusetts Rhode Island area, taking a bunch of field trips to Boston, all that kind of stuff growing up, like I've always known that the Boston Commons were a thing and mm -hmm. they always felt like the kind of place where something like a rally or a protest or something mm -hmm. like that would happen. But it's kind of interesting to know that it has this history that goes back like farther than the history of most of the other buildings and structures in Boston. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. It is. But it was fun. That was a fun one to research. Even though it wasn't super spooky, it was still fun. And this is like another place we can go visit, which is exciting. I know. I haven't been there in forever. I haven't been to Boston in forever. <laughs> I know. Oh, no, wait. When I don't go? even live that far away from Boston, and I'm pretty sure... The last time I went into Boston was like 2014, 2015. Ew. 
<laughs> yeah, and I don't even live that far away. It's disgusting. <laughs> but... I spent, like, a weekend in Boston. It's just one of those places that, like, it's too bustling to need to go to on a regular basis, and I just don't usually have a special occasion to go. Yeah, I feel like I've done all, like, the touristy things there, like the museum. Yeah, and, and the Freedom Trail and the aquarium and... Yeah. This is all on of the these Freedom things Trail. are worth checking out in Boston, by the way. Boston's a very, very cool city. Mm-hmm. But... And this, like, the... Most of the things that I talked about are on the Freedom Trail. Oh, perfect. So if you do the Freedom Trail, like... Yeah, you kind of... I was going to say, I knew all the Paul Revere stuff was on the Freedom Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a uh, Boston Ghost Tour. I don't remember which company it is that does it, but I think they are the one near the aquarium. Oh, nice. Um, but my husband and I did that one when we went for, like, a weekend trip, and it was pretty fun. They they get all, like, dressed up, and they get into it, and it's, oh, like, cool. a bus tour, and they like, take you all around, and you walk through, like, the granary. Is it the granary cemetery that you walk through? There's a cemetery you walk through, and they tell you, like, some of these stories. Oh, cool. And they bring you to the common, and this is actually the first time – that was the first time that I had heard that, like, the common was – anything other than a park yeah and it kind of blew my mind a little bit but they like bring you in and they like tell you about like the mass burial and like the elm tree and all of that stuff very cool yeah that's awesome i'm glad that you took that tour i know it was fun total unrelated note that i might also (laughs) take out of the ending of this because it has nothing to do with anything but isn't the cheers bar like right across the street from the boston common i think it's somewhere near it okay for some reason in my head or is it is it near fiat uh hall I don't remember. Which is I thought that it was across common? the street from the Boston Common. I have no idea. No idea about I wish Boston I could call geography. my dad because he would know the answer to that. <laughs> he would 100% know. He could like walk us through the whole thing. He would be like, and if you get on this line and get off this exit <laughs> and walk 25 feet this way and make a left. And then three steps to your right. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because this is some stuff I think... Like I said, I've known about the Boston Comet my whole life. I never had any clue it was haunted. I know. Me either. And I also don't usually think about parks being haunted, but now I'm going to start looking into it because <laughs> I will I never to go to know. a park again. Just, oh, just no, kidding. I will go. I just want to know what's going on in them now. I, know, I, just, I want to know what I'm signing up for when I sit under that tree. Also, like, <laughs> my parents live near an old historic park as well, oh, and yeah. now I'm like... Did something happen there? <laughs> I mean, so. that was like, that was like a mill park too. So I feel like things did happen there. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I'm curious. Let me Best know. believe I will be looking into it. But cool. Thank you. That I'm. That was like a cool topic. It was one that like, when we talk about topics for our episode, you know, some of the, the more common things kind of come up over and over again but that mm-hmm. was that was a cool one i don't even remember how i stumbled on that like i'd completely forgot about it after like the ghost toy thing i went on and then i don't remember what i was looking at but something came up about the common and i was like "Ooh, i remember that ghost toy they had some fun stories let's do that yeah i i like this one this was a good one <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed today's episode looking at the common in boston massachusetts and You can join us next week to start off our two-part season finale on Albert DeSalvo, who is better known as the Boston Strangler. If you want to follow us on any social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Myth and Macabre. If you have any stories you want to share with us, any ideas that you'd like to see us cover, any corrections to errors that we may have made, we try not to, but they happen. You can send us an email at mythandmacabre at gmail.com. Bye.